turn our Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. You know, as we sing those songs, you know, just being reminded constantly that I pray that when we come into this place and we do this thing that, you know, there's sometimes a monster to be found in monotony. You know, like the regularity of things that we do. That one thing that the enemy likes to do is the things that are regimented in our lives. You know, specifically when we come in here and worship, when we do what God has called us to do, when we pray consistently, when we read consistently, when we serve consistently, that the enemy likes to come in and tell us that monotony is a monster. But there's something so beautiful about the consistency consistency of God's people to lean into the space where only God dwells. To see God do the things that only God can do. And I think in all of our lives in some way, shape, or form, as we sing those words, believe for it, you know, this there's, there's this place in our lives that I pray that we can look in the rearview mirror and see behind us and see like, God, you have done some amazing things. That whether we've believed God for 20 years or look to God for 20 years or look to God for 20 minutes. Like seeing the power and the presence of God in our life in a way that no other thing in existence in this world or, or, or in the spiritual realm of life can be replaced by. God heals. God provides. God leads. God does things. God is the creator of the universe and the uniqueness of the faith that we we settle into this morning is that faith that believes that the creator of the universe didn't call us to build up to him but he came down to where we are and he gave his son Jesus Christ for our sins for us to be able to come in here and worship freely and and I want to read this passage of scripture as we enter into you know this series has been being about you know when when Garen and I were talking about well, like where do we go where do we teach from forward into the fall you know and we were like for us as a church we're growing like we're, we're we're growing in it you know we're moving and we're developing and so like where in the bible do we see a group of people doing the same thing like god's people and so it's like the book of numbers it was an odd book and most of us in our reading plans it's where we start to check out we're like so and so and so and so and lineages and names and all this stuff we're like yeah i'm done i'm moving on to something else i'm gonna watch something else do something else whatever but there's a uniqueness in this book that shows a group of people that are navigating change, that are navigating pressures, that are navigating like what does it look like to be God's people the way God intends for them to be. And so they're navigating these things. And for us, we found a lot of relation there. We were like, we're kind of like those people. I mean, we're the New Testament Israel in a sense, but like, what can we learn from this? And so this morning, I pray that as we read this, we can see where God works in the unknown spaces. And I think for each and every one of us spiritually, we are constantly up against the unknown. Like, what does it look like for me to be a more spiritual father? What does it look for uh, me to be a more spiritual husband, you know, for me in my personal life? And so for you asking those same questions, like in the place where you're at, when God's calling us to spiritual growth, there's some unknown spaces there. Like, how do we deal with those spaces? Like, how do we grow in those spaces? Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's anxieties. Maybe there's oppression. Maybe there's some kind of opponent or enemy in that space. Like, how do we navigate that? We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. But I want to read this verse, these two verses to kind of kick us off in Numbers 13, 27 and 28. 
So this is a report from spies who went out into the land that God had promised them. And we're going to read through all this here in a second. But spies went out and this is the report that they came back with. Verse 27. It says, and they told him, talking to Moses here, their leader. When, they, when we came to the land to which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They were told to bring some fruit back from the land. This is its fruit. Verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Let's pray and then we'll navigate that and make some sense of it this morning. Father God, I just pray. God, I pray that in all our brokenness, God, in all our sin, first off, that you forgive us. God, let us lean into these spaces this morning with each other, with a group of people from different backgrounds, different experiences. God, just seeking something greater. Lord, and we know that we find that greatness in your son, Jesus. God, we find it in your revealed word through the Bible, God. So I pray this morning that we would just allow ourselves to just be enthralled by your presence here with us and what your word has to say to us. God, we've had busy weeks, hard weeks maybe for some, distressed. Whatever it may be that we come in here with this morning, Lord, we know who you are and what you do. And Lord, let us be led by that truth this morning. Father, we just love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you, God. And we just ask you to speak to us through this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember, the book of Numbers kind of bridges a gap. You know, if you read the Bible... Uh, from beginning, from, you know, especially in the Old Testament, kind of in, in that, that section in the Old Testament. Exodus and Leviticus is kind of the, the beginning of this journey. Then we got Deuteronomy and Joshua when they actually make it to this place that God was leading them to. Remember, He's leading them away from Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. They begin to move towards this place that God said, this is the place I have set up for you. This is the promise. This is going to be yours. You know, And so as they begin to move into that, and Numbers kind of communicates kind of that journey, that initial journey. They're at Mount Sinai. They move from Mount Sinai. Last week we talked about their beginning steps to move away from Mount Sinai. And so in this time, as they're navigating this, you know, God has told them, God is prepping them. He's done this through Moses. Like there will be enemies, there will be opposition, there will be opponents. And so they're stepping into this place where we are in Numbers chapter 13 today is they're at the cusp right near the land at which God had promised them. And so as they get to this land, they begin to get to this place. What I think we see here and what we read is we begin to see the, the beginnings of some reaction to this unknown space that they've entered into. So they're right on the cusp of the promises of God. And ahead of them is an unknown in a sense of the promises are there. God has told us what's there but still engaging it as if it's unknown spaces. 
You know, and so, and I feel like a lot of that is the humanity of the people coming out. And I think a lot of us deal with that same thing as we navigate unknown spaces in our spiritual walk. I think we all have unknowns. We all have something that we would like to see grow and develop and engage with the promises of God in our life. And so there's, there's something as we look at that, there's an unknown factor about that. And the main thing being this for them, and I believe for us too, is the question of what does this cost me? You know, and Jesus said in the New Testament, like, expect a cost. Everything that is good is going to cost something. You know, but the main call, we talk, we look at the cost of, of, of our salvation. Jesus has already paid for. The, the, our eternity is sealed. When we put our faith in Christ Jesus, our eternity is sealed in Him. You know, there are promises that God made to the children of Israel, but there's that, you know, for them, that journey that they're navigating, that's kind of that, that sanctifying process of molding them into the image of God. And for us in the New Testament church, that this process of life for us is embracing and engaging the promises of God and it's in that that space that we see as unknown that God's already been there but we see as unknown that can rob us our reactions can rob us of experiencing those problems uh, those those promises we it can rob us of experiencing what is there and a lot of it's because we're afraid of what it's going to cost us and what we always should expect as Christians is that every Step of growth, the building up, the moving forward. There's always going to be tests. There's always going to be challenges to our faith. There's always going to be things that press against us. There's always going to be things that will reveal to us. And what the reason for these testings are when it comes to being the children of God is these testings are meant to prove our faith. They're meant to reveal something to us and the people around us about what our faith entails. I read this quote this week. It said, faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Because if a faith's never been tested, then there's no validity for ourselves. And this isn't necessarily to the world around us. This is more to ourselves. How can we have confidence in the faith that we have if that faith that we have has never been tested, right? Everything, you would think about our muscles. We think about anything that we grow or develop. It requires stress. It requires diligence. It requires things about it to really see it grow and develop into something that will carry us. And our faith will carry us. But it has to be tested. And if you've been in a Christian long enough, then you've navigated these spaces where your faith is tested. Where you've, where you've engaged with uh, your own issues. Or you've engaged with the issues of the world around you. Or you've engaged with the culture around you. Or whatever it might be where your faith is being tested. And maybe even right now you think to yourself that you're in a particular situation where your faith is being tested. You know, who am I in Christ? What does God want me to do? What is He calling me or, or wanting of me? You know, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter, about that, uh, that God tests our faith to help, make, help us make sure it's genuine and to help to make it grow and to see how it can develop. And so this is kind of the overarching theme of what I want us to talk about this morning. As we look at the children of Israel, as they stand at the cusp of the promised land that God had given to them. But it would be this. The theme being this, don't let unknown spaces keep us from stepping into God's promises. That we would not let unknown spaces keep us from stepping into God's promises. Because here in, in Numbers chapter 13, they had the promise within reach. And I believe that, you know, and we'll kind of read back, we'll kind of jump back a little bit to read some things, but... 
There are some things that Moses leads the people to that I believe can be some good measures for us to deal with the unknown spaces ahead. To know like for, for, for me or for you, like if we want to grow and develop and, and see our faith challenged and see, the, see within ourselves our spiritual lives develop into something more, which we should. You know, the Bible calls us to constant steps of maturity, constant steps of growth, to get out of the kiddie pool of our faith, that we need to start getting deep. We need to start seeing how God can use us, challenge us as Christian parents, as Christian husbands and wives, as Christians people, as people within the church and how we serve and how we engage with our local church or the community around us, that God has called us. God has called us. And more a time as ever, when we worship, I'm looking at our kids and I say this all the time, and, and it's because we, you know, there's a lot of kids in here and our students, a lot of students in here and, you know, even our students on Wednesday nights, like I think about them and I look at them like more than ever and in history, they need a group of people that are strong in their faith and that are willing to lean in. Now listen, strong in our faith does not mean we're perfect in how we play that faith out, but strong in our faith meaning in a sense of our trust in God and allowing Him to use us and put us in place to do what He's called us to do. And our kids, the generation coming behind us, they desperately need People who are willing to lean in with our faith and point them to Christ. Because the world around them is not going to do that. The colleges they go to aren't going to do that. Very, very few people in their lives are even going to do that. So what they need is they need us. They need the church to lean in where they are and to be that. And so as, as they're standing at the cusp of these promises, Moses leads them to some ways at which I think we can learn in dealing with the unknown spaces for ourselves as individuals, how we begin to grow spiritually and challenge our faith in a lot of ways to embrace the promises that God has. And so jumping back into Numbers chapter 13, verse 18 through 20. We'll start in verse, yeah, we'll start in verse 18. And so Moses begins to give an instruction here. He gives an instruction. When he's preparing the spies, he counts out all the spies. He's, he's sending 12 spies, a spy from every, every, every group, every family, every tribe of Israel. Uh, of, of Israel. And he says that you're going to go into the land, and this is what he says to do. In verse 18, he says, And see what the land is. And see what the land is. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are, they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. And then the last part of that, he says, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And so he says there in the beginning, you know, he says, go to that place, evaluate it, see what's there. You know, and I think there's something to learn for us is that I don't believe that this is a lapse in faith for Moses. But I think what Moses is leading them to is being mindful of being mindful, doing what we can to be mindful of what's ahead of us. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's, and, and you know, and when he does this, he tells them, you know, we need to see whether this. And the first thing he says, see whether the enemy is strong or weak. You know, something that we talk about all the time, you know, I, I think there's a lot to say about, you know, a, being mindful of the strengths of the enemy that stands up against us. You know, we don't always like to acknowledge the difficult things. You know, a lot of, you know, if, if we're going to believe something or live by something, we only want to think about the positive because if we think about the negative, then we're giving it a reality. But I, 
I believe that if we underestimate the enemy, we actually give the enemy power. If we underestimate the enemy, we give the enemy power. When the Bible talks about the plan of the diligent leads to plenty, Proverbs says, Solomon said that. You know, and so for us, one of the things when we're going to navigate unknown spaces of our Christian walk, when we're leading our families, when we're talking with other people, when we're planning to engage the culture around us in a mighty way, that let's be realistic. Let's be realistic about the strengths of the enemy. Like, how will the enemy work? Like what, and the, the thing that we need to know is that we never want to underestimate the strength of the enemy. And to take an honest look at the power of our opponent and evaluation of the strength and its potential attacks. In a lot of ways, this, re, re, this involves us as individuals being mindful of our weaknesses to realize the enemy's strength. Because that's where the enemy attacks us. That's where the enemy engages us. So for them, when they go and they see the enemy and they see the enemy's strengths, the intention is to be mindful of the enemy's strengths, to consider our weaknesses and how do we make ourselves battle ready when the enemy comes against us. The problem is, is if we go into those spaces without taking into consideration the strength of the enemy and our inevitable vulnerabilities and weaknesses, then we set ourselves up to be overrun. You know, one of the things Proverbs talks about is it talks about someone with lack of self-control. And a lot of our sin issues are self-control issues, but it talks about a person without self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down and they are being overrun. And so we have to be mindful of that. We've got to be mindful of our weaknesses to engage against the enemy's strengths because the enemy's strong. The enemy is very strong. And so... You know, as we consider in our own lives the unknown spaces of our own spiritual growth and development, stepping out from where we are, because that's what this morning is about, I hope, is challenging ourselves to step beyond where we are. Because beyond where we are is where the promises of God are. All of us should be taking constant forward steps in our spiritual journey because God's gotten more for us there. A deeper look, a deeper experience, a deeper growth. We should never be settled. We should never just settle in. There's something to say about godly contentment, but there's also something to say about Christian complacency. And too often we find ourselves in Christian complacency and we settle in that spot and we're okay there because it doesn't challenge my faith, right? It doesn't challenge me to be more vocal to my children. It doesn't challenge me to be more vocal to my spouse. It doesn't challenge me to be more vocal to the people around me if I settle into Christian complacency. And hey, we can come here and play church all day. Like we can do this every week and be completely fine, and some people do. But that's not what God wants for us. God wants our faith to be challenged. God wants us to be uncomfortable. God wants us to have uncomfortable conversations, to be in uncomfortable spaces. So what we have to do first is evaluate the strengths of the enemy and our own weaknesses in the midst of that. And then also he says whether they are few or many. You know, I think that's another thing to consider when we're considering the enemy and stepping into the unknown spaces is the quantitative strength of the enemy. You know, this is something that we have to be very realistic about. You know, when we talk about our children, for instance, and our students, like they live in a world where the quantitative attacks of the enemy are numerous. I mean, they're everywhere. Their minds are constantly under attack. Their identities are constantly under attack. Their purpose is constantly under attack. 
It's being driven by so many different things in culture and in media and all these things that they are constantly being attacked from all different angles, from all different sides. And so that quantitative attack can be very overwhelming. And so we have to take those things into consideration in how we step out. Because for them, if they understand the quantitative attack or the quantitative layout of the people of this land, then it's going to dictate the journey that they take to get to where they need to be. And so for us, it's the same way. If we will consider the places at which the numerous places at which the enemy dwells in the places around us, in our own homes, in the world that they live in, in the schools that they go in, in the workplaces that we go to, if we consider that, it's going to affect the direction we take when we navigate those spaces. And we have to. We have to be mindful of the quantitative attack and the quantitative number of the enemy's presence in our life and in our world. It's here. It's everywhere. And so we have to acknowledge that. And we have to be prepared to face that in every turn, in every place that we go. And we've got to prepare our children for that. They've got to know, listen, your faith is going to be attacked by so many different things. You know, I feel like as we go back in time, like the, the attacks were, were a little more localized. The attacks were a little more marginalized, right? The attacks were actually pushed to the outside and Christian culture was kind of the accepted thing. We're moving into a state of being in our culture, in our world, where Christian culture is actually actually marginalized and the numerous attacks of the enemy are placed at the center. And so anything we do, we're going to have to navigate That's that, that, that courtyard of attacks and that center square of attacks of the enemy because it's at the center of acceptance and it's at the center of culture. So we have to be ready and be acknowledging of that. And then he continues on and he says, whether the land they dwell is good or bad or the land is rich or poor or camps or strongholds, whether trees in it or not, you know, and I think this is a, a, an honest evaluation of the efficiency and proficiency of the enemy. If the land they dwell in is good, then they can assume that they are equipped with the means that they need to continue to be strong. Listen, the enemy is at no shortage of, of fuel. You know, whether it's the, the, just the nature of sin in uns, the unsaved world, or even the, the faults and the failures of the church itself, the enemy constantly is fueled. And the lives of people and the minds of people, there's no shortage of that. Of, that, of the foundation. That's, you know, when these people, if they dwell in a good land where there's trees and they have strongholds and they have you know, the produce and everything they need, then the, the, they can know, the people of Israel can know, like these people are grounded. Like these people are set up. They are, they are developed well. You know, and the enemy is. The enemy's developed. The enemy's here to stay. And so us acknowledging that, that foundational strength of the enemy and how he navigates. We've got to know our enemy, church. We've got to know what's ahead. Because if we'll take the steps to be mindful of the enemy ahead of us, it will empower us to take more steps of faith into those unknown spaces in our spiritual growth and development and being who God's called us to be and leading in the way that God has called us to live. And then he continues on in that last part of verse 20. He says, be of good courage. Be of good courage. And I love how he says here, he says, bring some of the fruit of the land. You know, there's, there's, there's something unique here. Because what I love about this, for one, Moses is acknowledging that there's good there. In that unknown space, there's going to be good there. There's going to be something to be gained. There's going to be something to be acquired. 
But then I also think there's something there to say about a sense of proving. Go to that land and get that and bring it back here. Not only for yourself, but I want others to see what good there is to be had there. Go to that promised place of God and bring something back that proves to the people that there's something to be good to be had there. And I think that that shows for us how we can step into the lives of each other, leaning into the promises of God. And and, and the whole purpose of the church, the whole reason that we gather here is that we come here with all our mess. We come here with all our experiences, all the places that God has taken us, that many of us have been to places of promise And we've obtained the fruit of being in that place of promise. And that if we take active steps into the lives of other people, then we can reveal to them the the fruit of the promises of God. Like, hey, listen, maybe your fruit looks different than mine, but I was here in the promises that God provided for me. And this is what I got. Like, this is what I found. Like, this is who God is. And this is what God does. Is that when God makes promises, he fulfills those promises. And that's what people need to see and know. That's what people need to see and know. And so, you know, there's something to be said about that. We can guarantee that the places that God is leading us, if we are seeking after him, he says, acknowledge me and I will make your path straight. He says, we guarantees fruit there. So this is something that that I hope that we can know. Is that... I believe for us as a church, for you as individuals in leading your families or leading your spouses or leading the people in your circle of influence, that there's fruit to be had there. There's something to be experienced. There's something to be done. And and more than anything else, we have to believe that. We have to believe that that's there. We have to believe that there's something there to be obtained. Because it's going to give us, you know, because he gave them a mission. He said, listen, there's fruit there to be had and this is the fruit and I want you to get it and I want you to bring it back. We have to know that there's something there. There's a mission where we are. There's a mission here in this church. There's a mission in this community. There's a mission in your family for Christ Jesus that God has called us to. And there's fruit to be had there. A guarantee of fruit to be had there. If we will take steps, go there and get and obtain what. We need. And then he continues on in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. At the end of 40 days. So listen, and a lot of times this, these things can just seem like numbers, but if you've read enough of the Bible, you know that, that 40 is a pretty consistent thing that we see come, come up. You know, and, and, and God's just... The way God works is just so beautiful and unique and put together. And, you know, that's what I love about God's word. And like anybody who ever challenges the, 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 the flow and the, the, the reality of, of God's word's truth and absolute truth, you know, it, it just there's just so much that intertwines and interconnects. But there's a significance to the number 40 throughout the Old and the New Testament. You know, 40 is symbolic of purging, of 
purification, of testing, of discipline. You know, for them, right after this situation is when God tells them that you'll wander for 40 years, you know, and many of you won't make it to the promised land, but some of you will, you know. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's also a tool of discipline that, in, that God used for his people, this, this number, whether it was 40 days, 40 years, you know, that was kind of the two ways that we see it in God's word. But, you know, Moses in Exodus, Moses lived 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the desert before God chose him to lead out lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses was on Sinai for 40 days and nights when he was obtaining the law of God and communicating with God. You know, Jonah warned Nineveh for 40 days that their sin would lead to destruction in the book of Jonah. In the book of Matthew, one we're probably most familiar with, Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days and nights after his baptism before beginning his earthly ministry. So in all of those situations, we see this 40 days or 40 years, whatever it might be, as this time that was inevitably leading to blessing, right? Leading to rescue, leading to deliverance. God makes us sometimes, you know, and and this is for us, you know, as we look at that number, this number being a number of maybe discipline as it will be for them right after this or purification or purging or preparation, That God uses time in our lives. God uses time in our lives to prepare us for rescue. To prepare us for blessing. To prepare us for work or to discipline something out of us. And and a lot of times we don't like that. Like we talked about that early on in the the series. that, That we don't like the waiting. That, that, That we constantly are at war with waiting. You know, we're constantly at war with, with the prepping and the purging. Like, we don't like to, be, to acknowledge. And, and when God uses this as discipline, as discipline, He's acknowledging with them, like, hey, you have rebellious hearts. Like, you have things within you that are rebellious, that are pushing back, that are selfish, that are grabbing a hold of what you want rather than what I'm leading you to. And so God uses these periods of time to purge the people out of those things. And listen, we should be desperately praying for our own 40-day moments, 40-year moments, or or, our number 40s. Like, God, purge me of the mess that distracts me from who you are, that distracts me or keeps me from stepping into the unknown spaces to be the the parent, to be the person you've called me to be for Christ, to lead in the way that you've called me to lead. Like, God, purge me of those things. We should desperately be asking for that. God, sanctify us, make us into something new and and again it's it's all about the testing of our faith and revealing the strength of our faith to step into the spaces that God has called us to and so then when we when we read down you know in the verses that we read we saw them acknowledge that they went and then we saw their response about the land that for us I believe we can learn something about what can cause us or how can we miss the message of God's guidance in the unknown. You know, I mean, 10 minutes from now is unknown. But like when we think about our spiritual lives and the growth and the movement and, 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 and most of all within that, because I believe all throughout our lives we are given our whole life as a Christian is grabbing a hold of the promise of God, living out those promises and applying those promises in our life and, and, and being obedient in the midst of those promises. And so how can we miss the message of God's guidance in the unknown? And I think we can see that from some of the ways they respond after going to the land. 
in verse 27. He says, when, it, it, when, when they come and it says they told him, talking to Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. And I think there's something there that we need to see. He says that we came to the land to which you sent us. And I think it's an acknowledgement there that they didn't make that reveals the mindset at which they navigated that space. You know, they didn't acknowledge it as the land God had given us. They acknowledged it as the land to which you sent us. And so what it shows is that they, understood, they saw themselves more on mission for Israel than on mission for God. Not the land God had given us, because before this, we've read through 11 chapters, 12 chapters, where God had constantly been saying, this is the land for you. Like, this is the land I have given you. I will defeat your enemies. I will give you the strength. I will provide you the way. He organized all this stuff and said, you know, you, you, these people on this side, these people tear down the tabernacle. These people carry the Ark of the Covenant. When we travel, like, this is the direction you go. This is the place. All of that. And then they come to it. They go there. And their response is, we came to the land to which you sent us. Moses we just went to the place you went so they were focused being on mission for Israel rather than being on mission for God and I think this is where we can find ourselves when we're navigating church life when we're navigating uh, family life when we're navigating worldly life or the world around us, we're navigating that world that sometimes too often we're seeing ourselves on mission for ourselves seeing ourselves on mission for for the project we're seeing ourselves on mission for the circumstance rather than seeing what we're doing as being a mission for God in obtaining his promises when we can begin to see our life in this way it's going to radically change the way we engage those things because the reason that they have the view that they'll have that we'll read here shortly is because they went on mission for themselves rather than understanding that they were on mission for God because when we engage with the unknown, if we're on mission for ourselves, then what do we find there? We've, we're going to find fear. We're going to see it in comparison to ourselves and our own weakness and our own inabilities and our own strengths and all those things. And so for us, you know, and, and this was revelation that I still try to navigate through and deal with in my own personal life, but, you know, when, when me and my wife became young parents and, and trying to deal with that, you know, I, I was not a Christian at that time, and, but I was, a, you know, I was doing my thing. I was on mission, going and being a part of a religious establishment and doing that thing, but I was on mission for myself. Like, I, I, I just, it, I was doing it more out of, a, a, you know, more out of a, a, a responsibility or some type of social expectation rather than understanding that it was my sole purpose for living at all was to live on mission for God. Like that the things God has given me as a parent, as a husband, the places he's placed me, like this is my mission. These people are my mission. These, 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 these things that God has given me, the circle of influence that God has given me, this is my mission for God. Like these things aren't my personal mission of, 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 of growth and development. And, you know, this isn't my personal mission of, of uh, professional development. Like, no, this is God has given me this as a mission for him and for his kingdom to engage in the unknown spaces ahead of me and to obtain the promises that he's guaranteed to me. 
But if we engage with the mission, if we engage with the mission that God has given you, if we, you'll see yourself this morning, where you are, who you are, the people you're with, the people you talk to, if we see that, if we disconnect that from being a mission for God himself, then we will constantly bang our head up against the, the enemy that dwells in that unknown space. They didn't acknowledge that the land was God had given them, but they were more on mission from Israel than a mission from God. They forgot who they were doing it for. And then continuing on, we begin to see the product of that. When we forget who we're doing it for, what this is the purpose of it, this is their response. So they say, they say, we went to the land that you sent us, and you know what, God? You know what, Moses? It flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Like, there's fruit there. You, everything you said so far, like, it's there. However, the next verse, in verse 28, some versions may say, nevertheless. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. And very large. And besides that, and then he goes into all these people that dwell in the land. Like, basically, like, the land is saturated with enemy. Which seems like, you know, the way they, it, I feel like they communicated here is almost like it was a surprise. Like, the people are strong. Their cities are fortified. They're very large people, physically large people. And there's lots of them everywhere. Saying it as if it's a surprise when leading up to this or the whole time, God has said, that's what's there. Like there's, there's an enemy there. There's opposition there. There's opponents there. But because they entered into that space on mission for themselves, all they see is the strength. They see what the enemy's doing. They see all these things that are going to keep them from the land rather than remembering that God had already promised them the land. They were seeing themselves and not seeing what God had led them to. Some, you know, like I said, some versions saying, nevertheless, basically, it looks all great, but it's too much. It's too much. The opposition is too much. The enemy is too great. The cost is too much. Listen, in, in, in all honesty, if we self-evaluate a little bit, how many times have we said that to ourselves in a sense of challenging ourselves spiritually, Stepping out into the ways God has called us to do the things, say the things, live the way that God has called us to. How often do we say, yeah, it's just too much. It, it's great. The promises of God are great. The reward of God would be great for our church, for our community, for my family. It would be great if I would do this. But, however, the opposition's too much. Like, it's, it's just, it's going to cost me too much. Like, there's... I'm going to be too uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to be too overwhelmed. Like, I just, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't commit to that. I can't be that. I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't be seen that way. I can't act that way. I can't be what God's called me to be because it's going to cost me too much. The enemy's too great. We want it, right? We found it. We've seen it. But despite God's faithful promises, They pour out the excuses. The land is taken. There's no vacancies. There's no room for me. The, the enemy's too, it's too large. The, the opposition's too insurmountable. Like, I, I can't do it. The cities are fortified. They're big. They're too strong. 
all the excuses and reasons they could gather, they saw the promises. They saw what God would do and had done and had given them. But instead of embracing the promises, they settled on the problems. And I believe for a lot of us in our spiritual life, what's robbing us from truly in experiencing and engaging with the promises of God is that we've settled on the problems that it may cause us. You know, for our students to be in spaces where they're different, where they're viewed differently or engaged differently than the people around them, like that's problems. And too often we settle on those as adults in parenting, you know, in, in our workspace. Like we, we know as Christians what God has promised. We know the reward of doing what God has called us to do, but then we have our however moments where we're like, it's just, it's going to be too much. Like, it's, it's, it's going to cost me too much. It's, it's, it's going to make people view me differently than I really want to be viewed right now. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to draw the reaction that I don't really want. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do something that I just don't want to experience. You know, and the reality of it is, is like when they say these things, like these things are facts. Like there are strong enemies there. And we talked about that evaluation, being honest about where the enemy is, what the enemy is doing, how much of the enemy there is, the power of the enemy, the efficiency of the enemy. Like it's not wrong to acknowledge facts. But the problem is, is that facts sometimes present themselves as opportunities for unbelief. Unbelief in what God can do. Unbelief in who God is. Unbelief in how God will provide. Unbelief in the promises of God to be fulfilled for the lives that we live. But in being presented with those facts, they forgot the true facts that were God had already done so much. Wouldn't He continue to do? Wouldn't He continue to provide? Wouldn't He continue? And so not only that... You know, in light of the unknown, we can forget who God is. In light of the unknown, we can forget who God is. And so how do we face the unknown with confidence? And then we'll, we'll end here shortly. But how do, we, how do we face the unknown with the confidence? This is what we need. Is that we all need a Caleb. We need a Caleb. Or we need to be a Caleb. Someone... And we'll read what Caleb's response in all that. And I'll read his response first before I go on. In all of that, they say all those things. And it says, but Caleb, one of the twelve spies. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. I, I love his confidence here. Like I can just imagine all these people bickering and complaining and saying like, oh, the, the land's too much. Like there's no way that we can go to this place that God already told us that we were going to have, but the enemy's too great. Like we, we can't overcome that. And I can just imagine Caleb like, hey, 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 like trying to get everybody's attention, like hush, like listen. And then Caleb responds in this way before Moses and the people. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it. Like, I love the lack of hesitation. He's like, let us go up at once. Like, we've seen the land. We've seen what God promised. We knew what was going to be there. Let's go. Like, let's go up at once. And not only that, not only let's go up at once, let's go to that place. He says, and occupy it. Like, let's be there. Let's be in the midst of it. Let's go do what God has called us to do. Let's go be the people that God has called us to be. He says, for we are well able to overcome it. 
We are well able to overcome it. Listen, we either need to be the Caleb to somebody or we need to desperately find us a Caleb that leans into our lives and says, hey, 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 hush. Like in the midst of the majority complaining, the minority standing up and saying, listen, I know it looks this way, but let's go there. Let's go to God's promises. Let's step into that unknown space, knowing that we're able to overcome it, not through the strength of my own ability, but through the strength of the God that over time and time and time again, we've read through 12 chapters up to this point that has proved that God will provide. Why now are we questioning that? Like, why now do I not believe that we not believe that God will give us what we need to step into the spaces that he's called us to? This unknown space is only unknown to us. It's not unknown to God. God's been there. God's evaluated the enemy. God knows exactly what he needs to do to defeat this enemy, and he's going to do it on your behalf. And what does Caleb say? You know, Caleb being one of the two spies that comes back with a positive report. Out of twelve. You know, and I love, and we've talked about this before, again, numbers. We talked about it early on. How, does, how is the number two used? The number two, two people, two witnesses. It's used as a point of validation. You know, it's used as a point of validation. All you need is two. What does the Bible tell us in Matthew? Where two or more are gathered. There he is. Like, it's that validation. So in the midst of a majority that's pressing up against it, we just needed two to validate it. And listen, but that should remind us of something. Like the, 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 the Christian faith, you and your Christian walk, very seldom, if ever, will be in the majority. The confidence that we need to step into the unknown spaces God has called us to is always going to bring us as a minority, as the, the remnant The work of God isn't a work of the masses, but a work of the remnant. It's not the popular opinion. It's not the popular place to be. It's going to be us stepping into spaces as a minority, as a few, as a remnant, a small group stepping out into what God has called us to. The people of God will always be in that. But having this, and as the band comes up, and we'll get ready to worship this morning as we wrap up, but Knowing that God will provide. Knowing that God will provide. And, and you know, and, and after this, you know, the people, the people will be disciplined. They'll spend, you know, they've been in, in the wilderness for over a year now and the rest of the 38 and a half years that they'll wander. You know, this is the section at which God says that most of you Most of you won't go into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua and their people. Like, most of you aren't going to make it because I'm going to use this time to purge Israel. I'm going to use this time to test Israel and discipline Israel to prepare them to be better when they step into the promised land. And obviously we know the ebbs and flows of God's people is like, we got it all together and everybody's good. Now we're like desperately failing and rebellious against God, but then we're back up. You know, it's that, and thank God for his patience and his mercy. But in the midst of that, as we begin to move into the spaces that God has called us to, knowing that we can expect our lives to be this, the roller coaster of our obedience and our confidence. But to know that God is providing in the midst of his promises. And that for all of us, for us as a church, for Cross Point Community Church, who will have existed for five years this year, 
that there's a lot of unknown spaces ahead of us. And honestly, a lot of, a lot of that for, for all of us, we probably look at those unknown spaces, if you've been with our church long enough, with some, some fears, some reservations. And that's okay. God told them, hey, evaluate the enemy. Evaluate the unknown space ahead. Go see what's there. And then for your own personal life, your own personal spiritual journey, there's unknown spaces about your continued growth and movement and development in the faith that God has called you to. And maybe you have fears. Maybe you see the, the enemy and who he is and how vast he is. And that's okay. But what we can't forget is we can't forget that God provides in the midst of that. We can't forget that God's already been to that unknown space. That unknown space is only unknown to me. It's not unknown to God. And that you would know this that the Bible speaks time and time and time again to remind us, remind us about who God is and what God does. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that raises, rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. You know, I love that verse because it doesn't say that the, the weapon will not be raised against me that, that, it, that it, it won't uh, inflict some type of injury or damage to me, but it says it will not inflict a critical blow. It will not take you out. It will not rob you of where God is bringing you. No weapon fashioned against you shall succeed. It may hurt us. It may slow us down, but the weapon will not succeed. So live and walk in that confidence. Psalm 138.7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. It doesn't remove the trouble, he says, but he protects me through the trouble. It's coming. The unknown space, there's going to be an enemy there. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. Our faith will be tested, but he will preserve you through it. Daniel 3.17, a popular verse says, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The context of that verse being, I can do the good and the success and the joy, but I can also survive and do the hurt and the heartache and the hunger. I can do it all because of who Christ is and what Christ is doing for me, with me, and through me. You know, and I love this, and then we'll be done here this morning, but two of the men that left, that came back and had positive Reports, faithful reports were Joshua and Caleb. You know, Joshua's name, when he's mentioned in one of the spies there at the beginning, is Hoshea. Hoshea. And that name means he saves. Well, then it says that Moses calls him a different name and he calls him Joshua. And the name Joshua means Yahweh saves. You know, I love that as he began to send them out, he got very specific on where the salvation comes. Yahweh saves. God saves. God rescues. God provides. Listen, I think for a lot of us, we just need that reminder in our lives as we step in the unknown spaces trying to obtain the promises that God has made to us of where the work comes from, where the help comes from, where the salvation comes from, where the rescue comes from. God saves. God provides. God leads. Let us lean in that direction. And so I pray, like every week, that we would personally evaluate our own, our own walks. 
if you're a Christian here this morning, what are the unknown spaces of my spiritual journey that I'm holding out from because of the fear of what the enemy may take from me or press back against me or oppose me with? Listen, be remembered, God provides. God leads. Yahweh saves. And also knowing that if you're battling doubts, if you're battling your own spiritual things, if, if, if it's even as simply as relinquishing your life into the hands of Jesus Christ and believing that He came and saved you, saved you from your sin and offered a way to salvation for us, that you would be reminded and know that God has prepared a place at the table for you. And He says, come. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come. Is it going to cost us? Yeah. Is the enemy going to attack us? Yeah. God says, listen, in, in my family, I take care of mine. I care for mine. I provide for mine. And no enemy shall come against you and succeed. So church, could we stand this morning and can we pray together and then join together in holy worship as we seek after God this morning and, and evaluate and pray and know that there are people here that want to pray. Garen will be here at the front. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you if you have something going on. Maybe you're sitting next to someone else that you know or even don't know. Hey, don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, would you just pray with me through this in your seat where you are right now? I just have this going on. I have these questions about who God is or what God is doing. Listen, we're here to pray and to seek through that and navigate through that space with you. So let us pray, seek God, and then worship together this morning. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for the truth of your promises. Father God, I just pray this morning that you would just challenge us. Lord, lead us into the unknown spaces. God, let us see who it is that you've called us to be in the, the land, the, the, the fruits that you've called us to take, take hold of. God, I'm afraid that too often we miss out on truly enjoying the promises of your blessings because of the fear of the unknown spaces ahead of us. God, I pray that you would help us to know that you shine light into those spaces, God, and that you provide the strength we need to navigate confidently in those spaces. Lord, if we have anything that we need to pray or seek about this morning, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, create opportunities and space for prayer, for seeking after you, Lord, and leaning into you, Lord. And if, Lord, at any, Lord, are, are seeking after, if they're here, Lord, we know that you're working on hearts, Lord. I pray that if any have not put their faith in you as their Savior, but have been constantly putting their faith, their faith in themselves, God, I pray that you would give them the courage and strength like your word tells us that we believe and you will save us and rescue us from the penalty of our sin and our shame and raise us to new life in you. So Father God, I just pray for that confidence. I pray for that work this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church worship us this morning.